confess to you, growing up, I didn't understand the metaphor until much later in life when I understood. He's not just talking about some grouchy old man who, you know, has this Christmas experience, but he's illustrating the fact that God himself became a man. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that, that Christmas is a wonderful season to celebrate, but there's so much meaning that comes from this holiday season that we celebrate. And one of them is this big word that we, that we maybe mention from time to time but haven't quite explained called the incarnation. And he mentioned that in the story, that this whole God incarnate thing, he just couldn't understand it. It's a concept that a lot of people have struggled with and has been debated and wrestled with for, for a long time now throughout church history. And some have, some churches have even done away with that. Some denominations have written that or worked, just kind of worked that out of their doctrine and their, their belief because it's hard to understand. But but as we heard, just illustrated, and as we're going to look at now in Scripture, there is a great deal of importance in the fact that God Himself became a man. He walked among us and breathed our air and walked our sod, as the Christmas song says, that, that God Himself became a man. A few Scriptures I want to share to set us up. We're going to talk about my favorite passage of Scripture and break that down a little bit from Philippians chapter 2. So you can turn there if you have your Bibles. Um, but a few scriptures to set us up to talk about this idea. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, Beyond all question, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, God appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world and was taken up into glory. And perhaps the most famous passage that talks about what is taking place with Jesus Christ coming to earth is John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is referring to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word that is being spoken of. And this Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But in Philippians chapter 2, I want to break down these, these verses to, to kind of understand and 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 maybe get a grasp, just a tiny little bit of, of the gravity of what took place with Jesus Christ coming and becoming a man. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Who being in very nature God, Jesus, who in his very nature was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by, become obe by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, there's seven parts of that that I want to break down. We're going to cruise through this really quick and draw a conclusion from this idea. First, he made himself nothing. Some, some some translations say he made himself of no reputation. He made himself nothing. 
This passage is called the kenosis passage. It's, it's the idea that, uh, that God emptied himself, which is another way that it's translated here. He emptied himself. God made himself nothing, or he, he emptied himself. And that word kenosis means emptied. That was actually a, a name that I really liked for a church when, back when we were naming 6-8 church. I liked the name kenosis. But we liked 6-8 better, so we made it 6-8. But he emptied himself, but did not at the same time lose his deity. So there's a truth here that we need to understand. God is unchangeable, that the fancy word for that is immutable. He cannot change, therefore he can never cease to be God. So when God comes to earth and takes on the form of a man, he is still God because God cannot change. He will always be God. He was always God before becoming a man. He was always God while he was a man on earth. He will always be God after he had ascended into heaven. He is still God today. He has always been God. Jesus Christ is God. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who Jesus was at creation is who he will be when we are restored to what creation was supposed to be. The second thing, the second phrase, taking the very nature of a servant. This is the gravity. This is what Jesus Christ did. He, he emptied himself. He became nothing. He made himself like nothing. He was God, and yet he became nothing. He was the king, you know, a king of the universe, and yet he takes the very nature of a servant. He chose to become a servant for us. He could have been one who came and needed to be served. He could have come and been the king that everyone worshipped and bowed down to and, and sounded the trumpets for and the fanfare and all of the things that go with being royalty, but instead he came as a servant. He didn't boast in his status as God. He humbled himself. In fact, Matthew 20, verse 28, gives us Jesus' mission statement, his life mission. It says, the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, the Son of Man, I came not to be served, is what Jesus is saying, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. This is the picture of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Number three, being made in human likeness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. So Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood because we have flesh and blood. That's what Hebrew is telling us. He was made, he became made in human likeness. He was fully man, like we are fully human. He was fully human, but he was also still fully God. He was made to look like man, but he was still also no ordinary man. Being found in appearance as a man, he was tested and tempted as a man, as a human. He endured the temptations that we would endure. In 1 John chapter 2, 16, we see the summary of all of the temptations that we face. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Jesus was tempted by those things when he was out in the desert while he was fasting. 
he was a real man. However, he was also born perfect and never violated the law that we have broken. The fifth part of this is he humbled himself. There's never been any act quite as humbling as that of God becoming a man. When he became flesh, he did so in a stable. God became subject and obedient to earthly fallen parents. He humbled himself. This is what Jesus did when he became a man. Number six was he became obedient to death. Not only did he, the perfect God, subject himself to imperfect humanity, he became obedient to the greatest fear and punishment of imperfect humanity, death itself. He was obedient to death even though he had authority over death. He was obedient to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us the picture of the not yet that we've been talking about this morning that, that we're still longing for today. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, talking about Adam and Eve. And now he's talking about Christ. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. The first Adam's disobedience delivered us into death, which is something that we all will have to face. That is a passage we all have to go through. That is the greatest fear that most of us have in our life is the fear of dying. That was the deliverance that came from the first Adam, but the deliverance that comes from the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is deliverance into life, the resurrection, the resurrected eternal life. And as was the earthly man, Adam, those who are of the earth, we are just like Adam of the earth, but so shall we be like the heavenly man, Jesus Christ, born of heaven, and that is the not yet. See, there's so much richness in this idea of Christ coming to earth. He became obedient to death, the last one, even death on a cross. We've gotten used to the idea of the crucifixion, just kind of this normal thing. We, we have the cross in our churches, we think about it, we don't realize the cruelty of the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a criminal's death. The crucifixion was how the worst criminals were punished and died. Jesus was punished like the worst of the worst. Jesus was embarrassed and exposed on that cross, naked for all the world to see, hanging on a tree for all the world to mock, to hurl insult, insults at. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, we understand 
crucifixion a little bit more. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, which is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 33. Death by crucifixion was considered the most disgraceful way to die. Jesus Christ, this perfect, sinless man, died carrying the burden of the worst criminals and the guiltiest sinners to walk the face of the earth. Most of us, if, uh, if God were to come to us and, and say, hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to need you to become something different and uh, and by the way here's the cost here's what it's going to look like you are going to uh, have to take on a different flesh a different body you are going to uh, have to instead of being the position that you have now you're going to have to be a servant you're going to have to be at the very bottom you are you're going to have to be humble you have to humble yourself and by the way you're going to have to die and the way you're going to die is the worst possible death you could ever think about dying what do you think will you join me And yet Jesus, knowing the plan of salvation, knowing what needed to take place so that he could, in fact, pay the ransom for our sins, was obedient to this. this is, he became obedient to, to the plan. He followed the plan perfectly. He lived the life he was supposed to live. God incarnate. God became this man, and he became this man so that he could show his love for us in this way. The incarnation is not just some dense theological term that, that we throw around at Christmas time, but there is, there is a world of meaning packed into this idea that applies to us here, today, in the now. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that it reminds us of our condition apart from God. We talked about this last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Our condition apart from God is poverty. Our condition when we're separated from God, when we don't have God as our salvation, as our rescue, as our redemption, is poverty. You know, it's described in some hymns as poverty. As, being a worthless worm, the worthless worm. In fact, it's in the Old Testament where I think it's Jacob talks about being a worm, and then God comes back to him and says, come here, you worm. You know, he, he just kind of, I think God likes to tease on us a little bit. That's just how I interpret that passage. But, you know, um, you know we, apart from God, are impoverished, helpless. That is our, that's our status. That is our condition. And when we look at the price that was paid, the, 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 the lengths that God had to go to to save us from our poverty, Jesus had to come, God had to become a man, which is mind-blowing in and of itself, but then this God-man who walked and lived the perfect life died the most cruel, horrific death that anyone has ever died, and he did it without having committed any crime to deserve being punished in such a way. And when you look at the gravity of his death, we have to ask the question, 
if the cure requires such drastic measures, how severe must the sickness be? God himself became this man who died on the cross for us. That was our condition. The incarnation reminds us of our condition apart from God. Second, the incarnation, the incarnation reminds us of our value and worth to our creator. If you've ever wanted to know just how much God loves you, just how loved you are by God, look at the incarnation. Look at this God who, who was willing to leave behind, as we just said from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he left behind, though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. He left behind the riches and the status that he had in heaven, and he became poor so that we might become rich. He was willing to lose his life, to die on the cross, to, to secure your place in eternity with him, with the Father, with the Spirit. That, that's how much you are worth to him. This is how much we, his most precious, most prized creation of all creation is worth because he was willing to become this for us. Not, not only that, but think about this. The, the creator of the universe, is, that was the, the role, the function that Jesus played is in creation, the Lord of all creation. And the cradle that he was born into, whether it was made of wood or stone, was made of materials that he literally created. The cross that he died on was a tree that he gave the ability to grow, and the tomb that he was buried in was a part of this world that he established. And he became subject to the curse that we're all living under, even though he was perfect. Even though he had no debt that he had to pay, he became the spotless lamb in our place and died for our sins. This is how much you are valued. This is how much we are worth. He was willing to pay such a great price. The incarnation reminds us of our condition. It reminds us of our value. It also shows us the foolishness of trying to earn our own salvation. You know, the reason the lamb had to be spotless was so that the lamb itself was viewed as though it was perfect. And so when they would offer the sacrifice of a spotless lamb, the point was the lamb itself couldn't have any blemish. Otherwise, the lamb would be, when it was, when it was sacrificed, the lamb would have it be dying for its own blemishes. That's the symbolism that's involved in the idea of, of the spotless lamb. And so Jesus was then needed to come and die because he was spotless, he was perfect. And he came and lived this perfect life that none of us could possibly live. He lived this perfect life so that when he died, he could pay the price as the perfect spotless lamb on our behalf. And so this is very important that we understand that we cannot go through the same process that Jesus went through to die and procure our own salvation. Trying to earn our salvation is as foolish as the thought that we are ourselves gods. We are not gods. We cannot die for our own salvation. So we should not spend or waste any time trying to earn salvation. Instead, we should receive it and live in response to it.
The incarnation reminds us of our condition, it reminds us of our value, it shows us the foolishness of trying to earn our salvation, and the last thing is, it shows us what a life filled with the indwelling presence of God can look like. As we look at the life that Christ lived as he walked on this earth, we see this amazing life that Christ lived and and he lived out. He lived this life of, of justice, mercy, and humility. That was the life that, that's the way you could characterize Jesus' life. The way he treated the people in his life was justice, mercy, and humility. The way he performed his ministry was justice, mercy, and humility. He lived the Micah 6-8 life that we talk about, and that was possible because he had the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, and he was empowered to live in this way. That's the kind of life that's possible, a life of, of caring for the poor and the brokenhearted and release for the captives, as we read in Luke. Our lives could and probably should look that way when we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. Because of what Christ did, and he left, and he ascended, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Now, now the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and our lives could and should, ought to look like the life of Christ. We ought to live our lives the same way he lived, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. But he became one of us to show us that he loved us. But he also became one of us to show us how we can love him. He breathed our air and walked our sod. First time I heard that story of the man and the birds, I always envisioned the farm where we now lived. The old man in the story was always my grandpa. The picture window was the window that we look out of every day, and the barn was the big barn that many of you see have seen when you've come out there that Grandpa himself was trying to shoo the birds into the barn. Of course, Grandpa would never try to shoo birds into the barn. They can, they, they can tend for themselves. They're fine. But that was always the image that came to mind was Grandpa shooing birds into the barn. And as I mentioned, I never really understood or got the gravity or the weight of what took place in that story that this man could not quite get that God became a man, and yet we hear kind of what took place when he was trying to shoo and get the birds to go into the place of safety, to the place where they needed to go, that for some reason humanity just couldn't respond, and that's what we're talking about this morning. The birds did not respond to this man shooing, and, and we, up until the point of Christ's coming, we did not respond to God's leading and all the things that he had done. We still continued our own repetitions of, of, of patterns of sin and deciding what is right in our own eyes. And as you fast forward even to the world that we live in today, that is a world that we would, we would describe that we live in now, that we, everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And we needed and we still need God incarnate to come and walk among us. And the great thing about this picture is that God didn't just come and walk for a short season. God didn't just come and walk while he was here on the earth, but, but now the Spirit of Christ lives in us, his believers. The Spirit of Christ lives in us. And now the hands and feet, as we are described, of Jesus Christ are still walking this earth. 
the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the, the lungs of Christ are breathing the air that is on this earth, and, and we are literally walking and living the life of Jesus Christ in front of a world that is still doing what is right in their own eyes. It kind of maybe puts a little more weight to how we're supposed to live, doesn't it? It kind of puts a little more emphasis on the fact that that it's not just for my own benefit that I live this life, which is how I think of it most of the time. I'm supposed to live this way because it's, it's what I'm supposed to do and I'm working to receive my salvation, but when I understand that Christ came and lived this perfect sinless life to give me the gift of salvation, and then he sent his spirit to live in me so that I might live the life of Christ in front of those who don't yet know Christ, then the way I live my life is no longer for my own good and my own benefit, but I understand that, that there are those in the world around me who are doing what, are, what is right in their own eyes, and they're totally desperate and dependent on the life that I live in front of them. We are supposed to be the incarnate Christ to carry the message of Christ into the world. The question is, do we do that at Christmas time? We're going to look at some other stories, some other themes of Christmas in the weeks ahead, but they are all encapsulated by this idea, are we living the life of Christ so that those who don't know can know? When Jesus Christ came, they had been hoping for the promised Messiah for a long time. As we sang earlier, they, they were come, expected. We're, we are anticipating your arrival. Come, Lord Jesus. We here today are anticipating the arrival of the return, the majestic and powerful, mighty return of Jesus Christ when he comes in all of his splendor and glory because we know that at that day we will willfully and by choice bow and worship our almighty creator as he comes to restore all that has been lost and broken. But what about those who don't even know that they have something to long for? What about those who need Christ in their lives, but they don't even know what this longing that they have in their, in their soul and their spirit is about, that, that there's something in them that, that, that's just stirring and hungering and longing for something that they don't have in their life, and, and they just cannot understand why no matter what they try, no matter what avenue they go down, no matter, no matter all the different pursuits that they have in life, no matter what they put all of their life and their energy and their effort into, it all comes up empty, and no matter how hard they work on, on being a good person and doing the right things, they still, at the end of the day, feel empty and without hope, and they don't understand that they are still longing for this Christ to come and, and live Christ for them, that they might receive the Spirit of Christ and now have the hope that we have. Maybe, maybe that's what you've been called to do this Christmas season. Who can you be the incarnate Christ for? Who, who in your life right now, is, as God has surrounded you with people walking in the darkness, who can you be the hands and feet of Christ for? Of course, we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not, we're not going to live this perfect life like Christ lived because we aren't fully God. We don't have 
the full godness yet, but, but we have the indwelling Spirit of Christ who can lift us up beyond our current state of humanity and help us live the life that He's called us to if we will trust Him. And maybe, maybe just maybe what most of us need is not more information. It's just we just need to finally take that first step of faith and, and just kind of step out and say, you know, I'm going to live this life even if it costs me something. I'm going to live this life even if it means I have to give up something, not because I want to look like a martyr, but because that was the example that was set for me in Jesus Christ, that that I have to become obedient to death just like he was obedient to death. I have to be a servant just like he was a servant. I have to be humble just like he was humble. And whatever it is that Christ calls me to do and, and the life that he empowers me to live, I need to be the one that follows through and does that. I need to take that step of faith. And we have plenty of knowledge. Is it just time to finally put that foot out there and say, I'm going to do this now? There's no better time, any time of year, to do it than this season because everyone is already thinking and talking about Christmas. Christmas is in the air. Christmas is all around us. We see Christmas everywhere we look this time of the year, and it's the perfect opportunity to be able to live the Christ with us Christmas that the world so desperately needs. We stand. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in this moment that you bring to mind that person that you want us to be Christ to. Father, bring to mind those people who are lost, who are hurting, who are desperate, who are wandering and poor and don't even understand the poverty that they're living in. They may have all the possessions that they want and everything they could possibly desire in their hands, but yet still don't understand the poverty of their soul. Father, bring them to our mind. We pray this prayer for them. We pray, Father, that you would go ahead of us and you would send your spirit ahead of us and that you would open the eyes of their heart. That even though their eyes are blinded by the spirit of this age, the one who has blinded their hearts has no power over the eternal spirit of the almighty, everlasting God. And we pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that they would be receptive to the truth. Go ahead of us and prepare the way for us to be able to share the truth in their lives. And Father, I pray that you fill us with the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth, guide us into all wisdom, this Holy Spirit that will teach us to say the right words and, and to do the right things and to make the right sacrifices and give the right gifts that will bring people into your kingdom. Father, fill us with this spirit of Christ. That they may see not us, but that they might see Christ in us. That they might see Christ through us. They might see Christ in front of us, Christ all around us. And that they would look and see 
for the first time this Christmas season that, that there's more than just these great stories and great tales that have been told throughout the ages, but that it all goes back to this thing, that Christ himself, God himself, became a man. Father, for that person that we're praying for, we pray, Father, that you would give us opportunities to, to live Christ in front of them, to, to serve them as you have served us, to be the hands and feet of you serving them in the way that you served us when you walked on this earth. Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities to look into in, their lives and walk humbly before them the, the walk we have with you and walk humbly before them this life you've given us and to find opportunities to do what's right, to do justice and to walk through pain and struggle with them as they walk through and they need someone to have compassion. And Father, just fill us with a spirit of kindness in everything we do that we might stand in stark contrast to a world that is all about itself. Help us to be all about the kindness of God, pouring out gifts to the impoverished of soul. And Father, we ask that you use us to bring people into your kingdom, bring people into your glorious light, that those who are thirsting, that those who have this eternal thirst that they don't know and they don't understand that they cannot quench with the, with the things of this world, that they would find through our lives the Spirit of Christ living through us, the voice of God calling to them, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and you will find peace. Come and you will find what you have been longing for, what you have been looking for, what you have been expecting without even knowing what to expect, that they will find through us the Spirit of Christ calling them to come to Jesus and to receive the gift that he has for them. And Father, we pray that you would put and fill our souls with an overwhelming burden that we must, we absolutely have to, we cannot go on in life without living this kind of life that you've called us to live in front of those who so desperately need you in their life. Father, give us this burden, not just for this day, not just for this season, but that the spirit of Christmas, of being like Christ, would carry in our hearts all year long. In Jesus' name we pray.